You've cited Alaska's proximity to Russia mm -hmm. as part of your foreign policy experience. What did you mean by that? That Alaska has a very narrow maritime border between a foreign country, Russia, and on our other side, the land uh, boundary that we have with uh, Canada. It, it's funny that a comment like that was uh, kind of made to, um, care, I don't know, you know, reporters. Mocked. Yeah, mocked, I guess that's the word, yeah. Um, well, explain to me why that enhances your foreign policy credentials. Well, it certainly does because our our next door neighbors are foreign countries. They're in the state that I am the executive of. And have you ever been in involved with any negotiations, for example, with the Russians? We have trade missions back and forth. We we do. It's very important when when you consider even national security issues with Russia, as Putin rears his head and, and uh, comes into the airspace of the United States of America, where, where do they go? It, it's Alaska. It's just right over the border. It is from Alaska that we send those out to make sure that... Welcome back to Michael and Us. Um, no longer a podcast about Michael Moore. <laughs> I, well, it's sort of a podcast about Michael Moore. My, I mean, all podcasts are ultimately about Michael Moore. We, we've we been talking about this. We think that Michael Moore should be kind of like a structuring absence on this podcast. From now on, he's kind of like a looming spectral figure, kind of like Dr. Mabusa or something. <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm Will Sloan, and I'm here with... I'm Luke Savage. And as you would know if you listened to our last episode, we're... Fearing more into political cinema as opposed to just Michael Moore. And boy, oh boy, did we ever watch some political cinema tonight. Yeah, and you know, I was saying to you after last week's episode, oh, it's so great we get to, you know, we what Triumph of the Will, like that's a real movie. It's a historically important film and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, there's a whole new horizons for our podcast. We can have much more intelligent conversations now that we're not shackled to Michael Moore. Uh, so what did we watch this week, Well, This week we watched Sarah Palin, The Undefeated, a film from 2011, directed by one Stephen K. Bannon, who you might have heard of. Uh, before we address this film, which was really good, why don't we just talk a little bit about, you know, living in Hillary's America. It's been Ugh. two weeks since she was elected. How do you feel? What I feel like is that that joke gets more grating the further <laughs> we get away from the election. Like, you'd think there'd be a law of diminishing returns, but but it's kind of like uh it seems to operate in reverse <laughs> i feel like the last two weeks it's, it's sort of been like having kind of this like migraine Ugh. for two weeks um people have been warning against the normalization of trump a lot yeah. I would say, like, the normalization is, like, pretty much complete at this point in the sense that I no longer wake up every morning, like, feeling ill. Um, yeah. It just feels like a fact of life at this point. You I know? mean, it really is a fucking horror show. I mean, like, just a few hours ago before we watched the movie, it was confirmed, like, it looks like Ben Carson is going to join the cabinet i mean there was some headline that he was among the people he was interviewing for secretary of education was like jerry falwell jr oh my god you know they're, they're gonna cancel all of nasa's climate change uh <laughs> research yeah no it's it's really bad um but don't worry because jill stein is gonna save us uh she is apparently raising money to force recounts in three <laughs> crucial states oh, that trump it. won by just a few thousand votes um so maybe Hillary will be president and we'll get to do that to Hillary's America Dinesh D'Souza episode we promised people a while back. I feel like someday we might get to that movie, but it just feels a little too raw. No, we can't do it now. Really? Well, well like maybe one day, but I just I feel like in 10 at years. At this moment, when when we're on Michael and us sort of season season 11 or whatever, we can 
but one name who's been, I think, surprisingly absent from uh, politics this season has been one Sarah Palin. Mm. I think her name might have been tossed around a little bit. Initially, but I, we haven't heard anything more from uh, her. I mean, I'm guessing that we haven't heard anything from her because... By all accounts, she is dangerously unstable. Yeah, she's um, quite unwell. If people remember her kind of only reappearance, her reemergence in the last year was when she gave that completely incoherent speech in support of Donald Trump. What were some of the things she said? It was, it was sort of conservative slam poetry. It was like, we're right-winging, bitter-clinging, proud-clingers of our gods, our guns, our religions. And, you know, just... And then before yeah. that, I think I, I remember hearing about her maybe a year before that one. Do you remember there was that conservative conference that she gave a speech at where oh, the teleprompter right. broke and she just rambled yeah and relevant to our podcast because michael moore had said something about american sniper mm-hmm. do you remember she posed in that picture of her holding a sign that said fuck you michael moore with oh, like right. two like crosshairs yeah yeah crosshairs as the o's yeah wow i mean there was a time when she was considered a very viable candidate for presidency which is the time that we visited like a marine she runs toward the danger the oil execs approached her and said you don't know who you're messing with it wasn't something that daddy gave her it wasn't something that the machine prepared the way for and she looked him in the face stared him down she represented a threat to so many establishments juno was something called the corrupt bastards club we're watching fbi raiding legislators offices people in leadership positions There is no way she can take on this machine. She blew the whistle on her own party. She took it on because she knew it needed to be done. I was actually working against Sarah Palin. I didn't feel she was strong enough. I didn't feel she had the gravitas. Sarah had courage to try. And she's not afraid. A 42-year-old Wasilla warrior, unseating a 26-year political veteran. On day one, Governor Palin made it absolutely clear that this was a different governor. If we have government still invading our house, then, you you know, the women stand up and we start invading the government. And that's what we don't see in any politician. She was a champion of our ideals. I don't give a damn if the phony intelligentsia like it or not. The liberal media don't matter to me. Republican establishment don't matter to me. To hell with the establishment because the establishment has put us in this position in the first place. I mean, she was a real darling of the conservative movement, and this film kind of documents that in, uh, I mean, painstakingly granular detail. I think before we go ahead and actually tell you about the film, we should just say that it was extremely painful to watch. Like, my hopes going in were, okay, we're going to get some good old-fashioned, you know, conservative kitsch. It's going to be really cloying and kind of... And it was that, you know, as uh, the patriotic intro music played and as there were kind of these uh, these shots of the Alaskan wilderness and uh, the film is divided into three acts, all with nauseatingly stupid titles. Very grandiose titles too, like uh, there will be like quotes from Thomas Paine or yeah. whoever. Uh, and, and all against the backdrop of uh, snow falling in the night. <laughs> and so I thought, this is great. This And it's directed by Steve Bannon, so this is going to be, you know... This is going to be a good old, like, kitschy fascist movie. 
but it wasn't really. I don't know. I, mean, I, I, I kind of liked it. There's a bit of agony in the ecstasy in this one. <laughs> it, it's like, it's really long. It's 116 <laughs> minutes. That that wonderful gray area between pain and pleasure that you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, 116 minutes, uh, you know, I guess it's like average movie length, but at least half an hour longer than I wanted this mm-hmm. to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, it had a lot of the had a lot of the goofy stuff in it. It had all of the stuff I like from right wing documentaries, but right. it had long, boring stretches. But too. Here, here's the thing: like when I like I want to see the Sarah Palin greatest hits, which is just like all the times where she embarrassed herself or did something stupid. And of course, you don't get to see any of that in this film. Like this film is, I guess, if it's useful for anything, it's just in it's useful in depicting what the people, the true believers in Sarah Palin think and because bannon was behind it and because andrew breitbart makes frequent appearances in the film you know it's clear uh that they were kind of touting her they were you know they're really thinking about her as kind of the next great kind of conservative the next dragon yeah is how they position her in this movie Mm -hmm. Uh, before we go further maybe we should talk just a little bit about steve bannon because Mm -hmm. i think it's safe to say that he's the reason we chose this movie yeah not so much this is a name that uh, we're probably going to be hearing a lot about over the next few years unfortunately steve bannon of course famously uh the man who took over breitbart.com from andrew breitbart and Mm -hmm. turned it into the website that it is today yeah uh i believe he even he even himself called it uh, a refuge for the alt-right. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think it's safe to say that Breitbart.com, under his leadership, really practices a kind of white identity politics. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not only cartoonishly reactionary in the way that like Fox News is or whatever, but it's it's kind of overtly racist and like misogynistic. Like, it's not a dog whistle, it's a foghorn. Like, it, you know it's I mean? a it's... lot of articles with titles like... Um, why political correctness hides Muslim rape culture. Yeah, or, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Women who use birth control are, are uglier, like, study, or whatever, you know? Like, <laughs> right. Yeah. But there's more to the Steve Bannon story. He ran his own boutique investment firm called uh, Bannon & Company. He actually has a producer credit on a couple of movies, the Indian Runner, the first movie that Sean Penn directed, believe it or not, is produced by Steve Bannon. Titus, mm. the Julie Taymor Shakespeare film, is produced by Steve Bannon. And in fact, Steve Bannon owns a chunk of Seinfeld, the TV show, <laughs> because when Castle Rock was sold to, I think, Turner, Bannon was involved in that deal. And instead of getting money, he got some shares of Seinfeld. So that's must one, be a real cash cow. I mean, that's one of the reasons why Bannon is mm. filthy rich right now. Yeah. In recent years, he's produced a whole bunch of produced and directed a whole bunch of far-right documentaries this one occupy unmasked was another one right there's a movie with phil robertson called torchbearer oh my god when he joined the trump campaign kind of late in the campaign as the chief executive officer it was very much viewed as kind he's, of a, here's here's he's here to usher the campaign into its inevitable defeat basically. it's like this is a real last ditch yeah. like we're, we're gonna go down swinging candidate yeah. yeah uh and here we are he's gonna be what is he chief of staff Priebus, I think, the chairman of the RNC is being made chief of staff. They couldn't really come up. He's going to be sort of like chief political advisor. They like, haven't right. really figured it figured out. And actually, I think there's been, uh, I mean, among the, uh, you know, many sort of chaotic things that have happened throughout the Trump transition so far, 
you know, one of these the problems, uh, as I understand it, was that Trump wanted to have like Priebus and Bannon basically equal in rank, which doesn't really make any sense. Mm-hmm. Like you can't have two people who were chief of staff like that any more than you can really have like like I don't know two CEOs or, like or like two presidents. It just doesn't really make any sense. So Bannon got this kind of political advisory title, but it seems like um, he's going to be extremely influential in the new administration. It also seems like among these people. I mean, a lot of the people that Trump has brought in are just typical. I mean, I wrote an article for Jacobin this week about his um, incoming administration. A lot of it's, you know, it's just a horror show of like, you know, crazy Republican figures from like 10 years ago, or even if people like Romney, who are like Romney may well be Secretary of State, Giuliani. But, you know, Bannon really does stand out because I think he's the real ideologue of Trumpism. And if you want to understand what the kind of Trump intelligentsia, you know, think he's kind of the the key. This film, to me, did not really provide any insight into, uh, into him per- particularly, I don't think, for me. Not particularly. I think the only kind of relevance this movie has to where we are now is that kind of in the last third, the case they make for Sarah Palin is the case that they would later make for Trump, which is that she's a right winger. She believes in uh, free markets and limited government, but she's not bound by the Republican Party. And in fact, the Republican Party is holding her back. She's an outsider who's going to tear this system apart. I mean, I guess if there's a thesis to this film, it's just that Sarah Palin, she has this unique attachment to ordinary people because she's not she's not an establishment figure. She has the common touch. I mean, most of the film is actually spent not exploring the Sarah Palin that most of us uh, and all you folks listening at home uh, know. Um, and that's the one that kind of burst onto the American political scene in 2008. It's it's all about her time as like mayor of this small Alaska town and then as governor of Alaska, but before she was a national figure. And the way the film presents her, it's just like she had this unique acumen for like getting things done it was very reminiscent to me of a lot of the rhetoric around the sort of Ford Nation rhetoric and I guess Mm -hmm. to some extent Trump as well where it's this politics that does kind of embrace the traditional grammar of conservatism like small government and you know don't tread on me all this kind of stuff but attaches to it this kind of ethos of well i'm a bulldozer of common sense and everything's just going to run more slickly because i'm gonna i'm gonna stare down the elites and i'm just gonna tell them you know it's kind of the idea that uh I mean, this was especially true of Rob Ford, that government is just a family, you know, you can run the government like a family business. So just like Rob Ford and and, du- and Doug Ford, uh, who has a book out this week, by the way, oh, yeah. um, just like uh, they could solve a problem at Deco Labels with just a stern word to somebody that somehow that was going to make the whole city work better. And, and I think the film is trying to present Palin as like she's going to do what she did in... Um, you know, we see her do it in the small town, we see her do it as governor, and then she's going to do it nationally. Yeah. The first 90 days of Governor Palin's administration were insane. We worked like dogs, seven days a week, 15-hour days. Unlike many states, the, the governor in the state of Alaska is a CEO for the state. When the Constitution was written, the founders decided that we needed a CEO, one person that would be responsible. All decisions must go through this CEO. If things were to go wrong in this state, they wanted the ability for the people to know where does that blame lay. She was the CEO of 25,000 employees. Of all the 50 governors in the United States, she was sitting at the desk as one of the most powerful. And she wasn't afraid to use those powers. The movie begins with her as mayor of Wasilla, Alaska, where 
her main priority was cutting taxes, but also investing heavily in infrastructure <laughs> to bring in businesses. Yeah. So she paved the roads. Mm, which is basically Trump's economic strategy <laughs> as well. Yeah. Yeah. She, she paved the roads, mm-hmm. uh, which had apparently not been done before. Which was just revolutionary. No one had ever thought of that. And because yeah. she paved the roads, then Home Depot and uh, another, <laughs> another big, was it Walmart? Some uh, other box store uh, came. Another big box store came, which provided jobs for the people. And if we can apply that thinking on a, on a national level. If we can apply the thinking where we build roads. If we, yeah, if we, if we build roads. And then then America can finally start getting some Walmarts. Boom. (laughs) Unemployment is solved. You know, I think Walmart is like the biggest employer in the United States. (laughs) It's like really funny because, well, it's not at all funny, but it's the opposite funny. But Walmart, um, there's a whole bunch of Walmarts that pay their employees so badly that they're on food stamps. So it's literally just that Walmart, which is owned by the Waltons that have more money than something like the bottom, like 40% of Americans combined or something. And like they pay people so badly that uh, the state has to subsidize like right. their food. Right. I seem to remember Hillary Clinton being on the board at Walmart, right? <laughs> Whatever. I'm with her. Anyway, one of the other things this movie does in its first act is depicting Sarah Palin as this unique product of Alaska. Yeah. And so it depicts Alaska as this kind of like, you know, simultaneously this vast, untamed mm. land. But also it's the true America. It's 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 yeah. more it's purer America than like mainland America. Yeah, people work there and it's not, not a heartbed of the intelligentsia. Yeah. Um, and, and like people like take care of each other, they like each other. And all, and oftentimes they have like, values. Alaska used to be very poor. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is my favorite part of the movie. Mm-hmm. Though Alaska used to be very poor, they they had value where it counted, which was their families. Which was and, in the heart. Yeah. And oil had nothing to do with the... The movie takes kind of an interesting... Prosperity starts with the heart, always. The, the movie takes an interesting position uh, towards big oil. First of all, mm-hmm. we find out that the moment that launched Sarah Palin on her career was the Exxon Valdez uh, disaster. Mm-hmm. And she thought that, you know, because of that, if she could help the common man any way she could, she would. Mm-hmm. The movie shows her often standing up to big oil. It, it kind of contradictorily yeah. uh, depicts her as somebody who's very much for privatization. So we find out that at, when she was governor, she privatized... Like some dairy... like Yeah. That was like some dairy shop that was owned by the state for some reason. Right. But, but at the same time stood up to uh, all the oil companies. Because they weren't drilling like fast enough, <laughs> yeah. basically. For the 22nd time, ExxonMobil had submitted its plan to begin drilling in the Point Thompson unit, but still had not drilled. Point Thompson is considered the largest undeveloped oil and gas field in North America. And in 1977, ExxonMobil signed a lease agreement with the state to explore and drill in this field. And where I come from, your word's supposed to be good. But at least if your name's on a sheet of paper, it has to be good. The state said, drill it or lose it. Exxon challenged the state. The state rose to the challenge and decided that they would rather litigate than continually allow Exxon to delay development of the Point Thompson field. It is our land. It belongs to Alaskans. It doesn't belong to the oil and gas companies. And if they're not going to develop it, let's get aggressive and take the leases back. The the movie kind of uh, ignores her advocacy for you know, like drilling in wildlife preserves yeah. or... All the famous scandals that you hear about with Sarah Penn, like not not a single one of them is mentioned in this film. I think 
the way it handles Troopergate is particularly interesting. It doesn't even... It doesn't mention what the scandal is, It just says that after she ran for vice president, she was weighed down by all these scandals that were totally frivolous and were just about her opponents, you know, wearing her down. Yeah, and they were part of an organized campaign by what the film calls a small group of left-wing activists. Right. And because of that, for the good of... For the good of the government that she built, for the good of Alaska, she stepped down after half a term in office. Yeah. And she she didn't step down to, uh, you know, go on an ego trip and a book tour and all that. Actually, that's one of my big disappointments with this film is it doesn't really show that beautiful period kind of between the election of Barack Obama and the re-election of all of Sarah Palin's adventures, like her going in the... I don't know, that tour bus all around America. Do you remember Do you remember when she had that period, like when she hadn't announced that she was going to run or not? Oh, right. She went around on this tour on this bus, and it was like, it wasn't the Straight Talk Express, but it was like the, the Sarah Palin America, America right. bus or something. That was kind of the last time she had any kind of national profile. And right? there were, you know, there was a big super PAC behind her. And this would have also been around the time when she had that Alaska reality show. Sarah, you ready? Oh gosh, <laughs> we are somewhere that uh, people dream about. Family comes first. It's just gotta be that way. No boys, go upstairs. This was flipping fun. How come we can't ever just be satisfied with tranquility? I'd rather be doing this than in some stuffy old political office. I'd rather be out here being free. An all-new eight-week television event, Sarah Palin's Alaska, premieres Sunday, November 14th at 9 on TLC. Oh, God, I totally missed that. I think circa, like, 2011, I think I just switched off of Sarah Palin because it just felt like, like, this is over. Or, like, or... If she runs for president in 2012, I'm going to have to deal with her then. And I'll face that if I have to. (laughs) But, like, actually just listening to her for any period of time is really difficult. I mean, by the end of this movie, it felt like, uh, you know, there was, like, a drill in my eye socket like yeah her uh, her speeches are just i mean because her rhetoric gets steadily worse as the movie goes yeah on. and it's just the same like she has sort of like three things that she says and the people talking about her most of whom the film is kind of propelled by these talking heads who are all people that were part of her administration or kind of connected to her in some way and they just say the same three things about her over and over again it's like she just stares people down <laughs> she just cares about you know the common person and she has like a public touch and then also uh an elite's hater for it and it's just that over and over again i think the movie in its first third or first half is pretty boring because it really gets kind of lost in the weeds it goes uh, like it, it, the film takes us into like these exotic details about like her her various oil policy deals. and stuff yeah. Yeah, just like it's even for even if you really were into Sarah Palin and bought into the mythos of Sarah Palin, I have a hard time believing you'd want any of that. Well, I'm not sure. I think part of Bannon's strategy with this film, if there is in fact a conscious strategy, maybe I'm giving him too much credit, but he seems to want to like overwhelm the audience with detail and also overwhelm the audience on a sensory level. Mm-hmm. So nothing is said in this movie without some uh, visual accompaniment. So if somebody says something about the government wasting money, it'll cut to money literally being flushed down the toilet. Or, oh, yeah. or it'll be... Or when people talk about the elites, it'll cut to just like some backroom boys smoking cigars. It's, it's so it's like this awful stock footage, and in, sometimes the imagery is so heavy-handed and literal. 
Like, for example, when they're talking about these ethics complaints that were made against her, like, as they're talking about it, there's a person on a beach being buried. <laughs> That's the thing that happens. It, there's, there's another point when it cuts to, like, a knight. Yeah. Like, a, 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 an actual knight. Like a King Arthur-type mm. knight mm. with an arrow in his back. Yeah. It looks like Monty Python and the Holy Grail. <laughs> I like when they're talking about how the national media you know had it out for her after she became vice presidential nominee and then it's just a series of photos of like rottweilers and sharks and things like that <laughs> that's uh, amazing but i mean i think bannon might have like studied soviet montage theory because it comes <laughs> so like fast and furious i mean for me the problem with one of many problems with the movie is that uh, it's just so overwhelming. Like, the movie doesn't have peaks and valleys. It no, just it's keeps, just the same kind of... Uh, it just keeps moving at this rapid It's just pace. one big crescendo, the whole movie. And everything is scored to this kind of, like, dollar store Philip Glass music. It's like it's like fascist elevator music yeah. the whole time. And it's often very oddly chosen music. So when Yeah, we, it's really dissonant with what you actually see or what people are saying. When we see Sarah Palin addressing the Republican National Convention, the music that plays, it's like if Emperor Palpatine were, were addressing... <laughs> this really ominous music mm. at what should be this very triumphant part mm-hmm. um but i think that maybe if you were into sarah palin and you were watching this and uh like you you might find it overwhelming in a good way yeah in the same way that a lot of people when they read like the da vinci code it has <laughs> it had so many facts in it yeah that they were able to pat themselves on the back right and, and, and I, be like boy i read a really smart book and what, what else was great about the da vinci code was that every <laughs> chapter was like two pages long so that made you feel smart because you're like, I read 10 chapters in like 12 pages or something. So yeah, it's a it's a very aggressive movie. I mean, the movie moves on from it in the first half or the first two thirds of being very, very dense with facts. Mm-hmm. And then in the last third, it becomes more of an emotional appeal. Yeah. So we see... We see a bit of her addressing the Republican National Convention and all of the talking head interviewees are like, oh, finally, somebody was out there and they were they were talking. I love were, their comments. They were yeah. saying when she came out, we were like, oh, man, Sarah, are you going to be able to do it? Are and then you? she just looked comfortable. She looked relaxed. She was saying things. She was talking about the Constitution. We'd never seen anything like it. Yeah, it reminded me of Ronald Reagan, <laughs> you know, another person who just addressed things head on without that political talk <laughs> uh, but of course some things are just too good to last so despite her overwhelming popularity she was crushed by a vitriolic media who were afraid of her mm-hmm. people like uh, david letterman and john cleese there are some really funny uh, matt damon <laughs> yeah there are some really funny clips of just the smut like the a rogues gallery of smug liberal like pieces of shit yeah like bill maher and you see this Sarah Pillen, this yeah. uh, hockey mom type? I can't do a Bill Maher impression. No, but uh, I mean, I feel like you captured something of his essence <laughs> there. Um, God, Bill Maher is just the worst. Yeah. But yeah, it's interesting too that um, they, like there really is a kind of like, um, I guess you could call it like a right-wing feminism. It was that like they, mm. they keep talking about how the left couldn't stand this woman and they had to take her down a notch. And Well, I guess in some of those montages, the movie does, I mean, I don't want to give her any credit mm. at all, but the movie does show a real sexist strain to a lot of it. Oh, yeah. Well, there definitely was. I mean... On the other yeah. hand, I mean, a lot of the people who are mocking her or attacking her are doing it kind of within the terms she set up. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's the one who called herself a hockey mom. Yeah, that's uh, true. Although, you know, in a lot of those clips, like, it, it I mean, it really does look... They, there was a lot of talk about just her appearance and the fact that she had been, like, a beauty queen and, like, just yeah. shit like well, that. Well, there's a David Letterman joke when he, like, you when know, he like talks a, about her slutty flight attendant look. Yeah, it's like is, a lot of the stuff that liberals say about Melania Trump now, basically. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Um, like, did you know she posed nude? This lady cannot be our like first lady. Yeah, we and owned, she, we owned them by their own logic. That's right, and she has she has an accent which is appalling. Did you know that yeah. Melania Trump was an illegal immigrant for a week? Yeah, <laughs> she did twenty thousand dollars of work. And yeah, right. okay, man. It's like, it, well, it, I was gonna say it's not funny, but it definitely is funny. <laughs> that, like that was two days before the election, and all like Josh Marshall from Talking Points Memo yeah. and all all the other like liberals on Twitter were like, bam, like, and it was like. Yeah, finally, we've got them. And believe it or not, somehow the voters in, like, the industrial heartland didn't respond very much to that. I don't know. Oh, boy. But, yeah, the, the movie goes on from there. You know, nowhere to be found in those montages are, like, the famous Katie Couric interview. No. Uh, Which really was appalling. And, I mean, and that, I think, more than anything, was the real major turning point in America's love affair with Sarah Palin. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's funny, in retrospect, you know, 2008... Um, I mean, I remember Palin. I actually remember where I was the first time I heard about her. Um, Me too. Oh yeah, I was in I was in the Fox and the Fiddle just across from uh, like the Batashu Museum, uh, Bloor and uh, St George, and I just remember you, you know it was just like you know a night like any others in first year university, and the RNC was on the TV on CNN, and um, I remember the the way they were presenting it. it. You know, it seemed like this was a big deal. And I I do remember the SNL sketches with basically. Where Tina Fey just 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 did Sarah Palin's character. Uh, they just Katie read the transcript. Just read the transcript. I remember things like that. But honestly, in two thousand and eight, everyone was so distracted by Obama that I, it was just it, to me it just didn't. I didn't watch the debate between Palin and Biden because it was on the same night as the Canadian federal election debate, and I watched that instead. I of course watched the Palin right. Biden debate. Well, I'm a patriot, unlike you. Yeah, yeah. But the movie also glosses over kind of the frazzled relationship between Palin and the McCain campaign. There was that whole period when, you know, she famously went rogue. Mm -hmm. Uh, The movie doesn't really get into that. Well, in the campaign, basically, the two camps within, like, two days of the election Mm -hmm. were already attacking each other publicly and stuff. Uh, McCain isn't really a factor in this documentary. In fact, the movie basically makes it look like uh, the McCain campaign got this amazing shot of energy because it had this really dynamic Mm -hmm. candidate as the vice president. John McCain probably feels a little differently <laughs> about it. <laughs> and because the media hammered Sarah Palin, Obama was able to sneak to a victory. Mm-hmm. Which which is not really an accurate portrayal of... Yeah. Uh, I, by the way, I mean, I'm not the first person to say this, but it is funny that the movie is called The Undefeated. Yeah. I mean, because in the movie we see her repeatedly defeated. Yeah. So from <laughs> there it goes to her ignominious exit from Alaskan politics, mm-hmm. and then it ends with a variety of conservative talking heads, notably Andrew Breitbart making the case that she's the heir to Reagan. And, yeah, and we see you, that you know who else the Republican establishment didn't like at the time? Ronald Reagan. Right. And we see the birth of the Tea Party as well. Well, so all those people, yeah. um, which she certainly deserves credit for. Yeah, I mean, she was a big part of it, you know. And I guess, I mean, looking back on it, like 2010, that was when um, the Republican victory in the midterm elections was qu- quite considerable, and that was kind of the beginning of the decline of the Democratic Party, which eventually withered to the point where it could lose to Donald Trump. So uh, maybe we shouldn't laugh too hard. Yeah, and you know, it was because I think Bernie Sanders ran. <laughs> I think he deserves a lot of the blame for it. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I think Hillary Clinton would be president today. If, if it hadn't been for Bernie Sanders. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know what else there is to say about this movie. It ends with Sarah Palin at a rally somewhere saying, Mr. President, game on. Yeah. It really, really, you know, sets up the golf club for... Uh, yeah. Awful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I might also just add that uh, this movie also came out around the same time as a movie called Sarah Palin, You Betcha. 
by the British documentarian Nick Broomfield. Um, this was the anti-Sarah Palin movie, and it's better than this one, but it's also really bad. Uh, it was uh, I don't know if you've seen any Nick Broomfield movies, nah. but uh, his, his whole shtick, I like Nick Broomfield generally, but his whole shtick is like, you know, being kind of like a bumbling in- Englishman who uh, follows people around, uh, follows kind of like sordid American celebrities around and finds the real story. Right. So he did a movie about Kurt Cobain and a movie about uh, Heidi Fleiss. Uh, this movie begins with Broomfield going to Alaska saying, I wanted to find the real person behind the Sarah Palin facade. Uh, was she really what she appeared to be? And then, of course, it turns out she wasn't. She w- <laughs> uh, but there's this great scene where Broomfield meets Sarah Palin at a book signing. And he's like, Miss Palin, would you be interested in being interviewed in, in my film about you? And, of course, Sarah Palin's like, oh, yep, sure. That sounds really good. Uh, and then the whole movie is about him failing to get the kind of like Roger and me. Oh, wow. Um, and <laughs> him failing to get an interview with almost everybody, uh, except he gets an interview with Sarah Palin's parents, <laughs> who also turn on him towards the end. Well, so but does he interview Sarah Palin then? No, he doesn't. So he just gets her to agree, and then it somehow doesn't happen. Yeah, basically. Wow. Uh, I don't know. You, you should look into Broomfield because that's kind of his whole shtick. He basically makes a movie. He decides what the subject of the movie is going to be, and then he makes the movie. And then you know, it, it's very much up to chance how it turns out. It very much depends on if he gets the right people. I highly recommend everyone to check out this this movie, Sarah Palin, You Betcha, because it's probably Broomfield's worst movie. You really think people want it? Well, you're really selling it hard. I, but, okay, yeah. the reason I brought it up, though, was it came out, I think, a week or two after Sarah Palin said she wasn't running for president. <laughs> That's so, perfect. So, of course, I went to see it in the theater. <laughs> Broomfield himself was in attendance. Oh, wow. There were 10 other people there. Wow. And, and the movie ends with this wonderful montage of all the interviewees saying, Sarah Palin should never be within five feet of the nuclear codes. <laughs> I, I shudder to think what would happen if she would be president. Yeah. And then... And that's it. Then she wasn't. <laughs> and uh, and uh, and liberal America got the last <laughs> laugh. Am I right? Well, now that Hillary Clinton is president, <laughs> oh, it's all... Uh... <laughs> so uh, do we have any hint of what we're going to do uh, next time? Want to do Birth of a Nation? Yeah, we could do Birth of a Nation. Yeah, I've never seen it, but uh, we're gonna be—we're probably gonna be doing this every two weeks. Mm-hmm. That's kind of our working idea for now. I'm gonna be away next week anyway in um, the United States, but yeah, when we when we come back, we'll have a, a new episode served up. And um, I think our intention is kind of to rotate between these sillier films, maybe these more contemporary films, and kind of some. Uh, some classics you've never seen it no yeah it's incredible i mean that's where that's where it all begins you know (laughs) god okay well i guess until next time i was luke savage and i'm will sloan now watch this drive (laughs) thank you so much it's so great to be in iowa we're here just thawing out mr trump you're right look back there in the press box heads are spinning funny ha ha not all these new Democrat voters that are going to be coming on over the border as we keep the borders open, we're paying for some of their squirmishes. We bend over and say, thank you, enemy. No more pussyfooting around. We need someone new who has the power and is in the position to be able to suck off of them. Otherwise, they won't be able to be slurping off the gravy train that's been feeding them all these years. But now what they're doing is wailing, well, Trump and his, uh, uh, his trumpeters, well, they're not conservative enough. We are mad and we've been had. We're not going to chill. In fact, it's time to drill because they can't afford to see the status quo go. No, 
right-winging, bitter, clinging, proud clingers. You know what? You guys haven't tried to do that every day since that night in 08 when I was on stage nominated for VP and I got to say, kick ISIS ass! You are going to get so clobbered in the press. You are just going to get beat up and chewed up and spit out. And, you know, I'm thinking, and... <laughs>